0: night protection services for making this podcast possible and all the support they provide our cause Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of surviving to thriving today We have with us tiffany ob and she's going to talk about a story that She went through that encompasses domestic violence and how she got out of that situation and how she is now thriving And she's going to give some great tips to our Thrivers of how she went along that journey She's been a teacher for 10 years. Uh, right now, she's teaching fourth grade, which I think is, uh, you're a saint for that. Uh, that's a, it's an awesome age, but a tough age. She has a 17-year-old son. They have a, a dog named Zeke, who is a Basset Doodle that they adopted about a year ago, and Delilah, who came out of an abusive situation, who is a cat, and they rescued her about six months ago. So that's a little bit about Tiffany. Uh, thank you for coming on the show today.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. So I just kind of want to get into, before we get into your story, what was it like growing up for you? Where did you grow up? How did, how were your parents? How was your childhood? No, like going far back. Yeah, go, go, but I think go,
1: just dive right in. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I grew up in Merida Valley, California, it's a small suburb, you know, of LA, probably about an hour inland of LA and um an hour north, an hour and a half north of um San Diego. I have we've kind of a blended family. So I was um adopted by my mother's uh second husband. There was it was quite a large I have three wait one, two, three. Gosh, how many brothers do I have? I <laughs> I have a lot of brothers. So I have two older and two younger brothers. And you know there I I would say that And one of the things that I've learned is that there was, there was a lot of violence, I guess you could say in the home there, you know, it it wasn't necessarily, so my normal was different, I think than other people's is, you know, just, there was a lot of conflict with my, with my mother and she's going to hate that I said this, but, and so there was like, okay, I'm going to hit you, but then the next day tomorrow, we're going to come back and I'm going to say, I love you and I'm sorry. So there was a lot of that you know growing up. I was very active growing up, a soccer, swimming, gymnastics. As a parent myself, on the other hand, I don't necessarily know how my parents did it because we were all very active. Yeah. So without, you know, self I mean driving and picking us up, you know, it was obviously very crazy. So I did, you know, athletics was definitely my focus growing up and, you know, competing and being the best and 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 all of that was just really a strong drive for me.
0: Okay. Did you, did you enjoy school or was it really just?
1: I did not enjoy school. Actually, I remember, and one of the reasons why I became a teacher is I, I remember, so there's a big transition when you go from second grade to third grade, you're basically in second grade, you're, you're learning to read and, and stuff like that. And then you transition into third grade. And you're reading, and you become reading to learn. And so, when they're, you'll notice a big shift in children who don't necessarily have the natural um, intelligence or things that come naturally, in that they struggle. And I remember being in third grade and sitting on the playground and just thinking how stupid I was and that I couldn't grasp the concept. But I was always really well behaved, and so I knew how to fly underneath the radar. And just be nice to my teachers, and da, da, da. and then like I just skimmed that. But then it was I got into sixth grade, and I had a teacher, uh, Miss Lusk, who believed in me, and you know she showed me that I wasn't dumb. I just needed to learn things a little bit differently than others, and that I you know that hearing things didn't didn't register with me. So then I you know I slowly started to get a little bit better in school, but I still never enjoyed it, which is weird that I'm in a classroom now.
0: Right. (laughs) But that's okay. I don't, I never, not to the point where I was very, you know, good in school and grasping all of that. So I definitely understand going through that. And especially with my little sister, she was a hundred percent in the same spot that you were. She didn't really grasp reading, but she's really good at science and, and math as well. So she, you know, but she now wants to go into stuff like that as well. So I think it's, you know, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So you didn't really enjoy school. Did you, but you ended up having to go to college. I'm assuming to be a teacher. Well,
1: no, actually when I, after I graduated, I kind of, you know, I, I did, I was kind of very lost as a, as a young teenager. You know, I did obviously did things that I wasn't supposed to and got involved in the wrong crowd. I was definitely in the wrong crowd. I had the wrong friends. I was kind of going nowhere fast. i barely graduated. You know, there was a lot of family drama. My oldest brother had moved out and he was kind of like my support growing up. And, and I wanted, and I, I wanted to be just kind of like him. So I had turmoil of my own, like, because of the drama with my brothers and my, I have a, my brother, Danny moved to Georgia with my um, biological father And so there was just a lot of stuff going on in it. You know, I don't think I responded well to it. So I was just like in that escape. I want to escape mode. And then, so I was going to like a junior college and I just didn't want to be there. I didn't want to, I didn't want to show up to classes. I didn't want to do anything. One day I was um, in the car with my mom and I went into Kmart and I tried to get an application and I, you know, I had like, I don't know. I probably wasn't dressed the most appropriate to get an application. And I had, you know, bleached hair and with purple in it. And I asked for an application and the lady looked at me and was like, oh, we don't have any. And I was so mad. And I went back to the car and I was like, you know what? I should just join the military. And my mom did like a U-turn in the middle of the road, like completely illegal, took me straight into the recruiter's office. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I wasn't talking about today. And um, I met the, I was going to do the Air Force. And I met the the Air Force recruiter, and or no, the Navy recruiter, because in our town there was one Air Force recruiter for the whole county, and the county was pretty big. Um, and he was like, "Oh, just come and take the ASVAB with me, and you know, we're all the same, and blah blah blah." And he was very good looking, and so I was like, "Okay, you know." And so he started taking me out to lunch, and um, I took the ASVAB, and then. And, you know, I'm still trying to get a hold of the Air Force recruiter and that just never happened. And then all of a sudden I'm enlisting in in the Navy. And I had like a, because of the job that I wanted to do, I had like a, like an eight month like wait window. However, I go, I went to Mexico with the the guy that I was dating at the time and was gone. Didn't talk to my parents for like a week or two. I dyed my hair manic panic red. And so I looked like Ronald McDonald. And then one day I came, I come home and my dad was, my dad opened the door and he was like, oh, nice of you like to show up by the way, your recruiter's called and they want you to go into, this was a Sunday. They want you to go into um, boot camp on Wednesday. And I was like, and I knew at that moment that I still had six months to wait till my actual like go in day if I didn't leave at that moment that I either one, wouldn't be alive or two would just talk myself out of it. And so I said, okay. And then he was like, and then as soon as I said, okay, and he's like, what the hell did you do to your hair? And I'm like, Oh, (laughs) great. You know? So my grandfather took me to a salon. I remember we died, you know, we tried to get the manic panic red out and it didn't, it was like neon orange. So I joined the military with like neon, orange, like hair. I mean, my, my hair is naturally like orangey or whatever, like strawberry blonde orange. So, you know, it was just, it was, it was quite a ordeal, but yeah. So I did, I went into the military in 19 January of 95.
0: Okay. How many years did you spend in the military?
1: A little over eight, like 80, eight um eight years eight months so you know kind of kind of nine but I did do when I got out I did a year as a river so okay I try to round that up to about nine <laughs> yeah so
0: you were active duty military mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay awesome my husband is national guard actually so oh nice yeah so we we get we have a little bit of the military taste in in the home so definitely understand the lifestyle
1: Yes, it was, it was, it was one of the greatest times in in my life. I loved it.
0: That's awesome. Do you have any cool stories that you can share with us?
1: Oh gosh. Yeah. (laughs) The one, you know, the one, and it's completely not military is my first overseas experience. I I went to Japan and I was in Sasebo with my, with my friend Misty. And we decide, and like all the guys, usually when we would go into port, they would want to go straight to the bars. And I was always about culture first. And then drinking, you know, like, you know, like you let me, and a lot of times I was the only um, girl on a deployment just because of my job. So I would have to end up going with to the bar or until I could con or, you know, con them into coming out, out with me. But usually it would mean like I had to get them drunk first so then I could take them out because we always had that buddy system. But this one deployment was with my friend Misty and we, we decided to go into the mall, but we have to go to the bathroom like really bad. And we're trying to ask, you know, where the, you know, and we're saying restroom, but in the translation that the Japanese learn, they don't use restroom; they use it. Or I think I was saying bathroom. Well, either way, what I was telling them, and they didn't understand what I was talking about. And so then I was like, literally doing like the squat, like I was squatting to go potty, you know, in the middle of this like high end, you know, store. And then the lady's like, oh, oh, you know, like she finally, like she finally got it, and she was like five floors up. And so there was like this, you know escalators. And we're just going up the escalators, five floors. And then we find, we see a sign, but they're not Western bathrooms. And, you know, I, think it was like 23 at the time. And I'm like, what the, what do I do with this thing? It was like a urinal on the floor. And I was like, how do I face it? What did I do? And like, and I was like, you know, telling Missy, I'm like, what do we do? And she's like, I don't know, but I got to go, you know? And, and so when we, we come out and they have all of these like fancy features and you remember this is, you know, a long time ago. Um, well, so this is 20 years ago. Yeah. So they had like these buttons that you would push that would gargle the noises. So then if you would, you know, be doing your business, nobody would hear it. And so like all of these like high tech things. And of course I was in there like pushing like all the buttons. And then when we walked out, I was like, well, how did you do it? And you know, we did it completely different. Like I thought you would face, you know, one way and she was facing the other way so we took like photos of us like how we were going to the bathroom and then this japanese lady walks out of the the stall and i was so like convinced that i wanted to be the right that i was doing it the right way and i was asked how do you use the bathroom How you is it this way this and the lady's looking at me like i'm crazy for even speaking to her like in a bathroom like who is this like woman but then finally and she had to be in her sixties. I got her to show me how to properly use the bathroom, and she was like in these like stiletto little heel things, and it was it was pretty com- comical. But that's what I think of like my tours overseas. I, like that was kind of like my first impression of like other cultures and how I handle it. So, anyways, that was my
0: bathroom <laughs> that's story. Hilarious! I, <laughs> now I a- <laughs> talking <in it> forever. <laughs> no, that's hilarious. I studied in Morocco for nine weeks. And they had the same bathrooms, and it was yeah. a the same kind of uh, how what
1: part? What this? part um, of Morocco?
0: We were in Fez.
1: Okay, I've been to Fez. Yeah, yeah,
0: it's a cute little. Well, I have
1: um, a a three hundred dollar rug from Fez that my cat thinks is a scratch toy.
0: Nice, so. <laughs> gotta love that. Yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. So you were in the military for almost nine years, but you were you said you were reservist for last year. So what did you do? When you got out, because obviously reservists are weekend warriors, as they call. it. Right.
1: I got out, so I was I was stationed in Guam. That was my last duty station. I was a forty six air crewman, so I flew like kind of like a pilot assistant, you know, door gunner, you know, like the whole you know back of the um, aircraft type of thing. And I was all about the Navy. I was like, I I loved it. I loved what I I was doing, and I was planning on reenlisting. And then one morning. Right before like my reenlistment date, I woke up and I was just like, I'm getting out. Like no plans, no nothing. I'm getting out. I had no reason. I had no um, idea why. And I just was like, huh, okay, now what? So I went and I told the command and they're like, well, you have to extend for like a week or two so we can out process you. And I was like, okay. And I started looking for jobs and I got a job as a cruise, a scuba diving instructor on a cruise ship. Oh, cool. And so that was gonna be my life. I was gonna travel the world and I was gonna go to all these ports and just be kind of free spirited. And that just didn't didn't happen. I so I came home. So right after I said I was gonna get out, I went to Japan for about two weeks, I wanna say, and stayed with um I had a Japanese roommate when I was in Guam and she used to take care of the house when I was on deployment and stuff. So I went back with to Japan with her and her family and stayed with them for two weeks, came back to Guam out-processed, and then went to Hawaii for two weeks and met my mom and a friend of hers. And then came back. So I got back to the States like July 3rd, went to a 4th of July party uh, with my best friend, got very sick the next day. And I called my friend. And I was like, you know, I'm allergic to, you know, to something. I don't know what's going on, but I'm throwing up. and blah. Well, I was pregnant with my son. So- yeah. I was basically when I made that choice to re um to get out I was probably you know like a week pregnant. Okay. And I didn't know about it. So, you know, and so then obviously I wasn't going to be that cruise ship, you know, scuba instructor and I didn't necessarily know I was just kind of like at a loss like okay, well now what? I've, you know, I've been a, you know, a full-time employee my entire life and now I I have a kid and, you know, it wasn't hit my son's father and I definitely weren't in a good relationship. We were better friends than we were, you know, anything more than that. And so you just didn't know the direction of where I was getting like, okay, now what, you know, I was kind of stuck. So I enrolled in school. I started working further to the post office. So I worked for the post office throughout my, um, as a mail carrier throughout my pregnancy until I just, I had a walking route. And so, you know, like it ended up being like a waddling route um, and then I just couldn't do it um, anymore so I I quit that I didn't work until my son was about four months you know I just did you know obviously get out of the military you have the unemployment options and stuff so you no know, maybe it's about three months and then I got a job at a sporting goods store called Sportulite, um, and it's big on the west coast running the scuba department so I still got my scuba department so I put myself through my Bachelors and and most of my masters teaching scuba diving.
0: Wow! So, did you at that point know that you wanted to be a teacher, or did you
1: go? Um, I initially went in because okay, my father is an educator and my my mother's a nurse, and so I initially went in as thinking that I was going to do nursing. Sometimes I regret that choice. Financially, I think nursing would have been a better option, but I, I st- the more I went to school, I just. I started thinking about, okay, this is my life as a single parent, you know, like the school, if I was in a school, like I have, you know, I was obviously daycare was, you know, starting to get expensive and stuff like that. If I have the same schedule as him, then it's going to make my life easier and, you know, financially better, Plus, you know, you know, getting summers off and, you know, in the military, you're used to that, you know, getting 30 days off in most jobs, you know, you, you start off maybe two weeks or a week, or you have to earn them or, you know, bake them. And so I was like, you know, this is, you know, really good on the vacation. And then we can, you know, it was, I was very much more focused on being a mother and what was going to be best for my kid. than I was on my own, what I wanted or needed. So I kind of changed paths and went into um, education and started kind of that journey. So I transferred, I went to um, California Baptist University and they have a really amazing adult studies program. So I would work, um, at that time I was working about two to three jobs. So I worked at the sporting goods store. I worked at FedEx and I worked at a, di- a separate dive shop that was on um, Camp Pendleton in, in San Diego. So it was a Marine Corps base. So between the three the three jobs. And then, so I would go to school two to three times a week at night from like 7 to 10 p.m. and so and my son woke up every 2 hours so i was a zombie for like 2 years. so yeah so that was how you know i went into schooling and i did take a break in between my bachelors and masters i was kind of burnt out and <laughs> my friend and roommate at the time martha was like let's get a job and we started uh, and take a break and so we did we worked for enterprise rent a car for a while And my son was in preschool about that time. And it was, I don't know, it was just, it was hard. It was tough. He, I just never saw him. And, you know, I would be, I would be repoing cars with him in the backseat. Like, you know, I'm like, this isn't the life that I want. You know, like this isn't, this isn't a conducive environment for a single parent. So I decided my dad actually had his I want to say it was his masters. It was his masters graduation and I went to my dad's masters graduation and I was like I'm getting back into education. Like I'm going to go back and do and do that. So the next week I I registered for my masters courses um and my teaching and so it was like a dual program so your teaching credential and then you did an additional year or two years, I don't know. There's so many years of of education to get the masters. So, you know, your credential portion m- matches up with your masters.
0: Right. So then, so you finish your master's and then did you go right into teaching after that?
1: I did. So, well, and that's kind of where the story starts. So in 2010 is when I graduated with my master's and um, my credentials. And at that time, 2009, I started, well, 2007, I transitioned and I was working as a substitute teacher. So I left the scuba diving world behind and I was subbing, I was get, I was a site sub for a school, so I did work like every single day. And then I transitioned into a long term position, that kind of um the seventh grade social studies, continued doing that in 2009, I did my student teaching. 2010, I graduated um, with my master's, and then at that time. California was um pink slipping a lot of teachers and they just there just wasn't jobs like there were people that were teaching for like 5 6 years and they just didn't have they were out unemployed and it was just a really you know they did like the class size reduction and then the the funding wasn't there and there was just all of these issues at that time my mother had um retired and she took a job in Saudi Arabia as as a nurse and so that kind of opened up my like my view and traveling had always been a part of like who I was and what I, it's kind of like the, my passion. It's like, if I don't, if I stay in CONUS and in, in the U S for so long, I'd get, I get antsy or, um, or, a or what have you. So I was just like, you know, so I started looking on Craigslist, like, you know, what are my possibilities? Like, what could I do? And I came across a job that was from a recruiting company out of Canada for teaching in Abu Dhabi. And I was working for the Abu Dhabi government in their local public schools. I was, you know, had, having just finished um, my student teaching where you are basically work full time with no money. I was financially, it was a really difficult time. And so I had like $300 left in my bank account. And I was, and the interview was in Atlanta. And they were like, so it was just kind of like this gamble. Like, do I spend that money like on this plane ticket to get my booty to Atlanta and do the interview or, you know, or figure out what's something else here, you know, like what is the choice? So I decided to go to Atlanta. My biological side of the family is from Atlanta. So I was able to contact my aunt and not have to get like a hotel and stay, you know, stay with her. And I interviewed, got offered the position like on the spot. And this was August, like mid-August, I want to say around August 20th. And I left to, to Abu Dhabi on September 11th. Wow. So it was like, I mean, come home, pack your stuff, sell everything, put things in storage, you know, finances, like, you know, the whole nine. And luckily my dad was like really supportive and in, in doing all that. And he kind of took over like, you know, any of my stateside bills and we moved to the Middle East. I stayed in with my son. So my son was seven when we did this. And a little bit about him. He, at that point, he was already previously diagnosed with ADHD. He has since been um, diagnosed with autism. So he's, you know, he's on a very high spectrum. You know, it's more of the like social, you know, awareness and, and stuff like that that affects him. Right. But so we get on a plane and we land in Abu Dhabi, and there was it was this huge program because their goal was to have their country bilingual by the year 2022 or 2020 or, or something. And so, and it was just living a really different life. So, I you know, we first went to um, Abu Dhabi in this five star resort, and then they gave us the reality check and they took us to this small town called Alain. and it was. So the basically the hotel was taken over by Western teachers, and we and there was very like little to you no know, instructions on what we're supposed to do. And then I have my kid, and then they're telling me I have to start working tomorrow, and I have my kid, and I'm like, what do I do? Like, right. uh, he needs to be in a school. I need to find him a school. But there was like, you know, you don't have a car. You don't have you don't speak the language. You know, like there was all these like obstacles or barriers. And so I remember the night before I was starting to work, I think I had like $50 until they decided to pay me and I didn't know. And the the U.S. money goes a lot further because, you know, you could eat a meal for like $2. Right. You know, so I figured I would be okay. I go to this bakery and I have a very big um, sugar tooth so, or sweet tooth or, or whatever you want to call it. So I go to this bakery and I was like, you know, I'm just going to splurge just a little bit. And, you know, but it, you have to order and like, Pound like kilos or (laughs) grams or or whatever, and I don't, you know, the teacher and me should have known, um, but I I obviously did not review this, and so there was this sweet and called canafa, and it's basically like a phyllo dough with cheese and honey syrup, and it is absolutely amazing. If you ever get a (laughs) chance to try it, you should definitely try canafa, it's like my favorite thing in the world. So I was like, Oh, I want some of that, (laughs) and they're like, Well, how much do you want? I'm like, I'll take a kilo. Oh, no. You would think in my drug days I would have known that a kilo was a not a lot more than what I needed to. Right. Um, so they come with these like two huge trays, like, and I'm like, I just realized that I made a big mistake and I was like, but I didn't want to be the stupid American. So I acted like, you know, yeah, I got this. <laughs> I carried these like platters back to the hotel. And I was like going door to door to all the teachers, like, hey, do you want some? So that was, you know, my first experience. And then that. There was a husband that was there and he decided that he would watch or supervise all of the kids. And so he did. And, you know, I went to work and then my, I think by like week two, my mom flew in from Saudi and she helped Zander, like take Xander to different schools to enter because it was all private schooling. They didn't have, you know, a non Emirati kid or, or Gulf national couldn't go to the public school so we had to so he went to like the first school he went to was like from India and we it was kind of like and but it was crazy there was like no management no no the kids were like screaming and throwing things in the classroom and my son's like in the back like he's, you know he's used to be in the hyper one you know and like these nice. kids were like more hyper than him and he was like i can't handle this and so we ended up switching him as well as some of my friends kids to a school called Manor Hall in Alane, and it was an american based school And so he, he went there and he did really well and he stayed there for a few years. And then I actually imported a friend of mine to be his second or third grade, maybe a third grade teacher. And so she, she interviewed and ended up working at the school that he went to. And then, but during this period is when I met my husband, they had, after the hotel scenario, we'd been there for about three weeks. They, one day there was keys. And an apartment slid underneath our door in the hotel and told us we had to check out by five. And I'm like, well, what does this mean? You know, like right. no instruct, no, nothing. It was like all Healy complex flat 54 C or something like that. And I'm like, okay. So I go downstairs and I'm like, what does this mean? They're like, Oh, you check out today. No more hotel. You go here. And I'm like, Oh crap. Right. And so I, Gather all of our belongings and I get a taxi and they take us and show us. And I have this key and I walk into the door and it's a completely 100% unfurnished apartment, brand new with like, and there's a lot of dust. Obviously, we're in the Middle East. I mean, covered like in dust or like they'd left the windows out. No oven, no refrigerator, no, no anything. And I'm like, Oof. okay, I can hang, I can do this, I can, you know. I can handle this scenario. And so there was about a mile or less than a mile, maybe three fourths of a mile away. There was this small little town that had restaurants and a grocery store, you know, but I still had the issue. I didn't have a refrigerator. And then the next day, the next day they slid um, a check underneath my door or it might've been cash. I don't really remember, but it was basically the equivalent to $5,000 part of it was a part of my contract To buy, you know, stuff for the house. Okay. To buy the fridge, to buy the stove, you know, to buy furniture. However, I was working every single day. So I ended up with a a fridge, a stove, and a carpet. And that's what we had and some pillows. And that's what we had for about three weeks. You know, we just slept on top of the carpet. We had, but my husband, I met, he was, he worked at a restaurant that was in that small little area where I would walk to. So Mm -hmm. we started dating kind of that way. And I hadn't dated at all since when my husband, I mean, there was one guy that I had dated before, during my college um, program, my student teaching and stuff, but he was somebody I dated when I was 18. And so we kind of reconnected and he lived in Washington and then, you know, things didn't work out. But so basically, since my son was born, there really wasn't any, you know, new person or new dating. I just was kind of just focused on being a mom. Right. Um, and I think that's how probably like my guard was down or I didn't notice the flags or, 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 or what have you. So uh, his name was Hatem and, we, and he was from Tunisia, but he was also an expatriate working in, in Alain. And then him knowing the language just made my life kind of easier. Like I was able, you know, like I had questions or or the culture or whatever. And he just would kind of came in there and just kind of helped, you know, a little bit, you know, and it just, so I think that I started, I overlooked all the things that he should have been doing, you know, and, and the warning signs. And he basically within like two to three weeks, he was basically moved in with me. And, you know, that of course, like my family was in an uproar because here I'm, you know, dating a muslim man who doesn't necessarily didn't necessarily have much direction and he was constantly like in trouble you know like there was constant like issues like um he, the restaurant that he worked with with like wasn't sponsoring his visa and then he had to go to oman and then he would try he tried to without a visa because he loved me so much tried to sneak, um, back into Abu Dhabi in a trunk and got caught. And then it was like, I get a call at like one o'clock in the morning, you know, and he's crying and I need 4,000 dirhams, which is equivalent to about a thousand dollars or they're going to turn me into the police and I need you to get the money. So then I, we lived on the border of the UAE and Oman. So like literally I could throw a rock, you like from my balcony and it would land in Oman. Okay. So it was like, it was like right there. So we would go, I would go and eat in Oman all the time. I always tend to put other people's needs in front of me. And I think I was just in a very, you know, it was like, okay, this person wants to love me and this person wants to, you know. And so I, I did, I ran, I ran a thousand dollars across the border and gave it to a friend and blah, blah, blah. And I don't even honestly know if this was even a true story now looking, looking into, into it. But at the time mm-hmm. it just seemed like that was what I needed to do. And there was just always something, there was just always, always an issue, always um, something and always something that I had to fix. And it was, I was just, I, I, you know, looking back, I just don't know why I didn't see the things. I think I just was blinded. I just really, and, you know, I think he, he knew a very, and, and throughout our marriage as well, he knew that balance of how far he could push me. Right. To, and then to, to, to kind of like back it off and then be the loving and like supportive and blah, 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 you know, person.
0: Right. Well, so, and especially being brand new in the country and not really knowing the language or the culture, yeah. it, you know, just being able to have someone there that you can rely on to help you right. navigate and, the new country.
1: And even like, you know, some of you know my friends that, and obviously the people that I met there, I didn't know very well. So obviously you're not confiding in them as much as you would be, but you did kind of go broke close. And I did have a few of people there being like, are you sure this is what you want? Like, you know, but it was, and I think what really hit me and really bonded me kind of to him is, is him taking out a ball and playing with my son, playing soccer with my kid and seeing like a male, like interest that somebody that supposedly loves me loving my kid. And I and I think I attached myself to that. I just hadn't dated and I hadn't seen my kid with, you know, somebody I was with. And so that, I think, blinded me a little bit. My mom came a few times. My mom was actually there um, when we first met him. And she didn't like him from the get-go. Maybe it was that rebellious, you know, daughter phase. Like, oh, you don't like him, so... <laughs> I'm gonna love him. Right. I don't know, like but and we'd had several fights and she had actually came to and what I was saying our house, but yet he financially had never assisted and it was all me. And she was just like bad mouthing like Muslims and bad mouthing, you know, him and bad mouthing this scenario. And I was just like, This is our house and you need to get out and this is not okay. And you know, so she would go and stay with a friend of mine, like why she was there and then finally after about eight months. He proposed to me, and now looking back, like so, we go to a. Re- he had been spending some time in um, Dubai, supposedly working. Find out later that that wasn't really what he was doing, and he was always on these like oh tr- like I'm going to go do work here and I'm going to go do work here. But I never saw any financial. Like he would come back with like a small gift, you know. Like so, obviously he got money somewhere, but I never really put it all together. So we go and I meet him at a restaurant, and he brings out he's got some friends there like I think there was like three of his friends from Tunisia and they bring out the sparklers like like you know fire things and there's like the ring is like in the middle with shots for everyone but me and he's like and I was like well where's my shot he's like oh you're a woman and I was like oh you mother, you know like and yeah. I was mad but I just I wasn't mad enough to you know because I was being asked to be married I don't know like yeah like now, like if you tried to do that to me, I would be like, oh, screw you. Bye-bye. <laughs> like <Right. me. laughs> But at that moment, you know, like, I mean, Xander was with me and I was in, they were all like, "Woohoo!" like celebrating. And I'm like, and then, you know, my, I guess my shot was that I got a ring. And then that was it. I was like, oh, we're engaged. And that was March. Um, I took a trip to Saudi Arabia to see my mom and try on dresses, which is an experience in all itself because there's no, Dressing rooms in Saudi. Okay. And, you know, there's, yeah, it's very, so we, I go to see and see with me and my son both go to Saudi, and I wanted my mom to be there to try on a dress. So there's this one mall, and you would go, and they were over blingy. Like, I'm not a very blingy person. Like, there's like jewels and studs and like dresses that weigh like 200 pounds. And I'm like, you know, I weigh enough. I don't need a 200 pound dress. So, you know, where, so we would go to the, you would go to the cash, they would put the dress in a bag and there was one, this is only at one mall. Cause there's many malls, but only at the one mall and you would run down to like this guarded security room where they literally had people outside with guns to try on the dress. And you had 15 minutes and you had to get the dress back. So what? you would be like running down the mall, like me, my mom and my son in tow, Like to this dressing room, you throw on a dress, do I like it? Do I like it? And you're like doing like your little checks and then, oh no, I don't like it. And then you'd have to run it back. Like, and you, you would leave a credit card or, or something with them, like in order to secure it. But you know, they just chop off your head or put you in jail or send you to chop, chop square. If you know, you stole it, you weren't going to do that there. Right. Um, And I, I broke down and I was just like, oh, I can't do this. Like I can't buy a dress like this this is too much for me and I'm sorry, mom, yeah. I want you to be in part of this, but I just can't. So she was like, well, there's this one store a friend that has been telling me about that is like a bra or lingerie. And um, that was always the really hard part about in the middle East is finding undergarments that yeah. fit you well. So I walked into this store completely dressed. And you know, when you're there, you have to wear their traditional clothing. So the Abaya and this man, and he was from, I want to say Pakistan or Bangladesh or something. He looked me up and down, went to the back and grabbed a bra. This is for you. Perfect fit. And I'm like, oh, oh, really? I have never had a bra that fit me better. And I was like, I don't know if like, because you had to take it home uh, because you couldn't try it on or whatever. So you took it home and I put it on. And at that moment, I'm like, I'm pissed because this man has like violated me in some way by getting me this bra that fits perfectly without, you know, measuring or anything. And I was just like, he's got like a boob dar or something <laughs> like that. No, like what is going on? And, but then I was happy because I finally had a bra that fit. Like right. it was just such a wit- mi- mixed emotion. So I ended up going back to Elaine and ended up getting a custom dress, made, And I made all these arrangements for our wedding. We were getting married in Tunisia. I had no family And then it was my last day of work and my work is throwing me, the Arabic teachers are all happy because I'm marrying a Muslim. They're throwing me this big, huge party and they have gifts and and all of this. And my husband, or he had called or fiance or whatever at the time, called one of my friends. Her husband was from Tunisia, uh, but they came to UAE, you know, already married. And he was like, oh, I don't know if I want to marry her, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like confused and it ends up working out, but like it not through, like there are some tears. And so then I fly with my son to Tunis and the day before the wedding where, where, you know, it was just a small wedding with his family where, but I paid for everything. And, and he wanted to bring alcohol to the wedding and it was during Ramadan. So he couldn't buy alcohol. Right. And I was like, I didn't want to be that Westerner, that Brings alcohol to a Muslim ceremony, you know. Like I felt that that was starting our relationship off wrong. Like, like yeah. his family approving of me or, or what have you. Like I thought I should respect his his beliefs or, or what have you. But it turns out I was probably more in the Muslim than he was, and so he hit me for the first time in the parking lot the day before we got married. And I, and I think back at that moment, and I and I wonder, like, I had I had like. Somebody on my side, you know, like mm-hmm. other than my son, like if my mom was there or if a friend was there, would I have gone through it? But here I had no car, no, I, I didn't speak the language. I was staying with his family. Like I had nobody. And I was just like, you know, it's, you know, it was, and I'm like, so I just made excuses. Oh, it was just temperamental or it was, it was just um, something that, you know, it won't happen again. Right. And obviously we know that with any type of once it happens, once it's going to happen again. And right. even as they transition, if they go through that, you know, if they, once they're in a domestic violence relationship, the likelihood of having another one is definitely increased. Right. So I go through it and it was almost, and I, it, and I it was just going through the motions and, you know, I had the dress and we had a carriage, you know, a horse drawn carriage that took us to the ceremony. And it was, But in all actuality, it was all about him. Like the whole thing was like him, me paying for a celebration with his friends and family. And he had to stay in Tunisia. My son and I went back and I had to apply for a visa because he now was unemployed. And so I had to sponsor him as my husband to to go back into the country. And from 2000, we got married April 15th tax day on 2011. Until we were divorced in the end of 2015, he did not have a job.
0: Really? And were you guys living he, in?
1: So we lived We lived in Abu Dhabi. Okay. Well, Alain for about six months. And then we moved to Abu Dhabi. So in Alain, we had a few, you know, screaming fights. He came back. He came back um probably about a month after we were married. Um, I was able to get the paperwork flew, him in, and I was so excited. there was a man spa, and I remember this moment like it was yesterday and i i, I really wish I would have just at that point walked away, but I didn't so I went in to get him a gift certificate to go you know do a facial, and he was he had like shaved his head, you know, so they did like a razor cut and a massage and like, you know, like, you know, for my husband, like, welcome, da, 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 da. And I, I, went I get the gift certificate and I come back in and I'm sitting in the car about ready to and I get this phone call and it was from this girl and her name and she was from New Zealand and she lived in Alain in our same city. And she was like, I was just calling, are you, you know, Tiffany, are you married to Hopton And, and I was like, yeah, we just got married. He just got back. I'm like, and she was like, well, I've been dating him for the last um, 11 months, which is before we started like even being together. Wow. And so all of these business trips um, were not that he did while we were dating weren't business trips. It was vacations and things that he went with her.
0: Oh, wow.
1: And this before our wedding, this, this, I don't know if I'm going to marry because he was deciding if he was going to marry her. And turns out that she paid for my ring. She paid like like he stole a lot of money from her, and so we. I was like, okay, well, what are you doing right now? And she was like, she's like nothing. I said, well, this is my flat number. Yeah, um, I'm in the All Healy complex. You know, come come meet me. We're gonna we're gonna settle this. You know, yeah. and and I wish that strength that I had there kind of continued forward. And so we, you know, she walks. We both walk into the door, and he. Looked like he was about to shit himself. I'm sorry. And he, and I was like, can explain. And he was, and then he denied and found out like this necklace that he had always wore. It was like this, oh, what is that green stone like the Chinese? Oh. uh, What have this stone was something, a gift from her. And she was like, do you still wear my necklace? You know, and he, and I was like, oh, are you talking about this? And, you know, and so there was a little bit of a confrontation. I kicked him out. You know, I sat there and I talked to her and I'm like, I'm sorry. You know, when she was like, I'm sorry. And like, you know, kind of ended that conflict, but quickly, like within the next few days, my rage shifted from him to like her. Like I, I didn't want, like my family wasn't very approving of my wedding. And I, and it was, and I think it was in that, that time where I was like, I didn't want them to be right. Like, right. I didn't want that shame and I could fix this. I could make this better. Right. And so we, I said, okay, well, I'm going to take a job in Abu Dhabi because and switch to a different school for next school year. And if I'm not staying in Alane because this is where she was and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, okay. And it's, I mean, it's only an hour and a half. So, you know, different. So I, we switched and we moved, but issues continued. Like, There was one time where he, I woke up in the middle of the night and he was like on um, Skype and there was like, you know, his messages were like kissy faces and, you know, I would interject and and I was like, you can't do, what are you doing? Oh no, this is just a friend, just a friend. And I'm like, you don't kissy face a friend. Like that's not something you do. And then that would turn like, if I, the more I questioned him, the more angry he would be. And that was the first time he took all he was like, oh, he took all of our computers. Uh, we had like a desktop and I had like three laptops and he broke broke them into pieces, shattered them, and then used one to like kind of hit me with. So he was just like beating me with a laptop. And luckily that my son was asleep during during this. And so I called the police and I quickly realized that I wasn't in the US. Yeah. I I thought, so the police came and they brought me into this, this room where they had a female um, interpreter um, and a male, you know, officer taking notes. And all she could say was Inshallah, which is mean like God willing. Right. Inshallah, this will, you know, it will work out. And Inshallah, you know, you will, you know, you put on a nice outfit and do your nails, do your hair and your husband, he will, he will come back to you. Inshallah, things will work out. And You know, it wasn't about like what was happening to me, but what I could do to make him happier. Right. And I was just like overwhelmed to the point where I just didn't know like what to do. And I was, I was, I felt like I was like in the twilight zone and there was no repercussions for him. Like, no, No. there was, there was like. You know, oh, you just cool cool off. And that was one of many. I think in Abu Dhabi, we had probably about four times where I had to call the police. The second or the third time, I mean, he was belligerent. He, We had this really beautiful um, home. It was like a three-bedroom house where every window had its ocean view. And, you know, there was a lot of, like, differences. And it was during Ramadan, and he wanted he wanted wine, which he's technically isn't supposed to have. Right. And I made a comment that like, it's Ramadan. Why are you drinking? Like, you know, and that turned into I'm not a fucking Muslim and let him do whatever he fucking wants. And he was belligerent, just started you stupid bitch and was just throwing like he threw every single dish um, that we had in the house at my face we had this huge wooden door and I just buried myself by the wooden door. And literally there was dents in the door. It was a solid wood door from all of the, I mean, he threw the coffee pot at me. He threw, I was black and blue and face was swollen. And luckily it was a Thursday. So I didn't have school the next you know day. And it worked because you'd worked um, Sunday through Thursday because Friday was their like, sat, you know, holy day or whatever. Right. and I called the cops, they came and they pulled us outside the complex because we lived on like the 14th floor. So they took us down to the base floor and the, it was two men and always, cause women just didn't do those jobs. And they were like, and everything got turned on to me. Like, what did you do? What did you like? What, how did you make him so mad? Why are you questioning him? This is not the woman's place to question their husband, you know, And then one of them took him, he put his hand or like arm around me. And I never felt so disgusted, like in my life. And he was just like, You, you, go to the store. My wife, she goes there all the time. Buy pretty outfit, lingerie. Men like this. Get your hair done. Look pretty for your husband. This stops the the fight. You just do pretty. Do pretty. And it will stop the fighting. And I was just like. Oh my god. I don't know what to do.
0: Right. And because then clearly common in households if he's Yeah, it's clearly and that's just how you.
1: they they handle it. It's just, you know. And so, you know, here I'm like I feel trapped because, you know, financially I I need to be there because that's my job and my contract and, you know, all of the 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 who I am about finishing things that I start and and all are is is like getting like getting tangled up in all of this. About two weeks later, we have another another fight. And I had replaced all the computers that he broke, you know, like I had repaired them or replaced them. Well, that didn't last. And he again destroyed it, was another internet issue or or what have you. And he I had gotten him a job through the owners of our condo or a park complex or whatever, the people that owned my flat. They knew somebody and they ended up getting him a job but he was like refusing to go. And then, and then like, so every morning I was like, Hey, you need to go to work, like trying to get him ready to go. But yet his money was his money and my money was our money. So I never saw any financial benefit from anything other than he bought me like a watch one time, which should have been like clue. And so there was some little scuffle and it, it turned really bad where, I mean, it was physical, like punching, and, you know, like banging my head up against the the door. I mean, my face was just kind of all like black and blue down um, the side, you know, within like five minutes after him leaving. My yeah. nose was almost broken, not to the point where I needed to cast or or, or what you know, or to get it popped or anything. But, yeah. you know, you know, bloody. And it was just a really bad um, fight to almost to the point where I don't necessarily remember all of it. I just remember the motion. and then. I was like, "I'm not calling the cops because what are they going to tell me? They're going to tell me the same crap." And right. instead, I, in that moment, I called a moving company and asked them to come pack my stuff. Um, this was a Thursday, and I was in amps. I had fled in the middle of the night, and I was in Amsterdam by um, Sunday. Wow! And so I left everything behind, including him, for a while. <laughs> Yeah. And I moved back to the U S you know, moved in with my friend or my parents and my, and got a job actually in LA at an Islamic school teaching kindergarten. And then, but being in that Islamic environment still, you know, they're all like, you should reach out to your husband. You should, you know, like, and all of this. And, and so I did, and we started communicating or, or, I don't know, maybe redating again and trying to, you know, see where this was going. And I, but I felt like I had more strength because I was home. And then about, I came home in April, about June timeframe. I get a call in the middle of the night from one of his friends and he had, I guess, been drinking and got into a car accident. And since he was drinking and he was Muslim and he was in an Islamic country, he was going to be like. Lashed, so mm-hmm. we got lashes, and you know, being the westerner, I was like, Oh my god, lashes! Oh, you know, like right. kind of like freaking me out, and you know, um, still feeling that a little bit of that ownership or that responsibility for him, right? And long story short, I ended up agreeing to allow him to come over on a visitor visa, and we, you know, I got a job in um, Las Vegas and uh, for the next school year, so we moved. So he came and we moved to Las Vegas and I was and I think that's when it got really bad because now um, seeing the seeing in the Middle East, he could work his charm and he could finagle things and like and do that. And then but in the States, you can't. It's like legit, you know, like right. and he could never go legit. So all he wanted to do was spend my money, which I wasn't making a lot, smoke weed and go out drinking. And being in Vegas, I mean, that was just like, all available, you know, here. So I was like, I was like miserable and he wouldn't work. And I was like, I mean, collect cans. Like you could go to Home Depot, like, and stand outside and, you know, go do side jobs. Like there's a lot of things because like on his visa, he couldn't, he couldn't work. And so, I, you know, and so I'm sitting here like, go do something. And then in, in those times when I would cut him off, I'm like, I need to pay the car payment. Like you can't have any more money. Right. Um, he ended up finding a way to duplicate my ATM card. And then he was like siphoning it out. And then one day I go to like pay like some bills and I, I have nothing. Like he had taken everything. Yeah. Uh, my car and during this period, my car gets repoed. I barely am paying like rent. And I'm like, I I can't I can't do this like anymore. This isn't working. Um and he said, just get me my green card, you get me my green card. I can work, I can help, I can support you, I can do this. So the idiot of me gets him his green card. And the moment it came into the mail, he stole it out of the mailbox, or you know, not really, I guess we were living together went and got his social security card, waited that week that it takes for you to get the card mm-hmm. and like watch for the card. Never allowed me access to the social security number. And then everything changed. He had his green card. Now he had a social security number. He no longer needed me at that point. No, I was it. it was maybe cause it was, I guess it was five years or six years ago right before he had gotten his green card was probably the worst fight in the U S where I, cause I I think I have like three incidents where I had called the police and tried to intervene or whatever, but this was the one he actually got arrested for. And it was right before he got the green card. So I'll back up a little bit. And it was when I had put my foot down. I'm like, I don't have any more money. You can't have it. Like he took my keys to my car, which I only had one set. And he threw him off of the balcony of our apartment into the street. And then I went to go get it. He pushed me down the stairs and I rolled and rolled and rolled down the stairs. And then I was, he was like going to get the keys before me so that he could take off in my car, which he didn't have a license. He didn't, you know, it was like drama. And so I'm running to try to get my keys and he throws, there's, you know, it's in Vegas, there's rocks everywhere. So he throws, he throws me into like a bed um, of rocks. And then like, I, I kind of jump up and grab his leg, trying to pull him back. And then he throws me again. And then a neighbor must have saw this. And, and I think that's the first time when we had public fights that anyone has ever intervened or or did anything. Wow. And so a neighbor called the cops and we, I'm on the, you know, the side of the road. He hears the sirens and he takes off and he ends up getting caught or whatever. And they arrested him. But then that Caretaker in me kicked in. Like a week later, I'm hiring a lawyer. I'm da 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 da, and you know the basically the charges. You know he has fines, and the charges get brought. He never. He actually still has a warrant here in Vegas, but you know who knows where he is now. But and so in that point, I decide I'm leaving Vegas. I'm going to go back to California. I want to be closer to family. So I I finish the school year and I moved back to California, and we're kind of in and out. Where you know he's kind of staying with the friend and he's supporting and like I'm in contact with him. I'm worried because now uh, legally I'm financially responsible for him for 10 years. Once you get that green card. And I mean, he got the green card in 2014. So technically still today, I'm still responsible until 2024. Really? Uh, and, and so I have this like, like if I keep tabs on him, then I can prevent me from having to be really screwed. Like, so I stay in touch and I'm paying for his cell phone and I'm sending him, you know, like a hundred bucks or, or whatever a month, you know, to, for cigarettes or, or whatever he needs. Because that financial responsibility, that le- legality was like scaring me. And then it's about seven, eight months go by. I get, a, I get my own place in California. I've got a job and he moves back in with me and, and everything's going okay ish. You know, he gets a job at a barbecue place, so he's able to take care of his needs. And I'm no longer having to do that. And it was a decent period of time other than there was no, it was more like a mother son than an intimate husband, wife relationship, you know? And He doesn't hit me. I think he realized after the time in Vegas and the court and they were being arrested that we take domestic violence more serious than what he's used to. Yeah. And so there's not violence more verbal. You're an idiot, stupid, fat, no bitch. You know, nobody wants you. And like, it was just the constant everyday, like belittling of who I was. And I just let it roll off, you know, my back per se. And it was Thanksgiving and my mother and her, my parents are divorced now or what have you. My mother and her wife-ish or her girlfriend, they run a nonprofit for feeding the homeless. And so that was like the, you know, the thing. So on, you know, Thanksgiving, we would go and feed the homeless and then we'd go and do our rounds. And this year we had planned to go see my cousin. We were going to do two trips. So it was going to be like to my cousin and my brother, Kenny and then go over to my dad and my stepmom's. So we spent the morning with my mom and it was like this, you know, but you know, on Thanksgiving you have to bring food, right? Like you right. can't just show up to somebody's door with no side dishes or no nothing. So I had left him I'm going to feed the homeless. That's not his cup of tea. So I told him like, "Hey, I need you to put this this and this in the oven." And supposedly like when we met he was a chef. Turns out that's not necessarily the case, but you know, he he was a chef and So I told him, this is what I need you to do. He agreed to it. I left. I come back and nothing's done. And so I get a little mad because we need to leave in like 40 minutes and the pies take about an hour and blah, 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 you know, and cooling time and all of this. And I'm like, we can't leave. And he was like, he wanted so much to go to my cousin's house and my brother's because they were in the marijuana industry. Mm -hmm. Um, So they were, you know, they had a grow shop and my brother currently does stuff in Colorado. But and so he wanted that because he wanted their product. And so he wasn't thinking Thanksgiving. He was thinking, I want to go get high. Uh And I said, go over to Tiffany's cousin's house. I'm not going to have to pay for it or or, or what have you. And so I was like adamant. And I'm pretty, you know, got Italian in me. So I'm pretty vocal and stuff. I'm like, what the, like, what the hell? Like, I'm not going until the food is ready. You can't, you know, and we had this like long kitchen that had a back patio, like right off of the kitchen. So it's just this big, long, like open. So, and I had a whole bunch of potted plants. And so he opened the door and took potted plants and just started chucking them at me. Um, And they broke on my back, on my shoulder, on my head, all over the stove, covering all of the food that I had prepared. And I was just like, I was, at that point I was like, I am done, I am absolutely done.
0: If you or anyone you know has been victimized by domestic violence, please reach out to us for resources and ways our organization can help you. You can find us on social media at 2thrivingatl, T-O-thriving-A-T-L, or online at 2thriving.org.